Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, April 20th, 2017. We're going to slow down the pace a little bit today. <laughs> the first segment, oh my goodness. Probably one of the worst handlings of a biblical text that I've heard in a while. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There really is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes. That's right, there are no apostles today. And those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula apparently we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's generally how that works. And over and again, we demonstrate that what's being said in people are saying amen to and going, whoa, to, that it's just, wow, a total manipulation of God's Word. It's not sound, healthy, solid biblical teaching. It's pus-filled, unsound, just medical waste <laughs> as far as theology and doctrine goes. And people prefer it that way, apparently. Um, they really don't want to be taught what God's Word really says. They would rather persist in their own beliefs rather than actually repent and believe what God's Word says. So, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to slow the pace down. We're going to slow the pace down. We're going to only have two segments in the first hour. Hour two, we're going to listen to two different pastors uh, delivering sermons, um, and we're going to throw in a Good Friday sermon just because, you know, it's, I'd love the fact, you, you got to preach the resurrection in light of Christ and him crucified for our sins. So we'll be hearing today from Pastor Matt Richard, as well as from Pastor Brent Kuhlman, both, they just do bang up jobs, and totally different approaches to similar texts, same same themes, but, you know, very interesting how each of them takes a different tack 
on really proclaiming the good news of the gospel for us. We're going to listen to Matt Richards' Good Friday sermon. We'll listen to his uh, his Easter sermon, and then we'll listen to you know to to round up everything. We'll listen to Brent Kuhlman's Easter sermon as well. Actually, only one of them. <laughs> he delivered a couple of them, and and uh, he had several services. So we'll we'll pick one of them to uh, do with you today. But let's talk about what we're going to do in our number one. The, we're going to head to a church I don't think I've ever reviewed anything from in the past, at least not that I can recall. The name of it is Rochester Christian Church there in Rochester, Michigan. And we have a full-blown man bun sighting. Yeah, no, no joke. I mean, I know it was a while ago when I was pontificating and musing as to how long it would take for, you know, some seeker-driven vision-casting leader to begin sporting a man bun. So we've been on the lookout looking for a man bun sighting from the stage, and, well, we have one now. Uh, However, he's not the vision-casting leader. He's a substitute preacher. His name is Brant Russell. And the (laughs) name... The name of the sermon we're going to listen to is Wild Child. And it, oh man. (laughs) Have you ever, I mean, have you ever had one of those times when you really wanted to tell your coworkers or maybe your, your friends at school a joke and you end up botching the, well, the punchline? Yeah, I know some of you are sitting there going, yeah, that's the reason why I never tell jokes. No, I get it. I actually, I understand it. This, <laughs> this message is kind of like that. Um, and we'll note how he literally <laughs> sets himself up for complete failure. And it ha- <laughs> it happens pretty <laughs> early in the sermon. But unfortunately, we got a lot of ground to cover because although he sets the trap for himself and that's really what ends up happening here he digs a hole for himself it takes a while for for himself to fall into it but man when, when he falls into it oh my goodness i wow i it's wow that's all i got to say so you know it's going to take us a little bit of time to walk through this and uh worth kind of noting along the way how he literally digs a hole for himself and then you know kind of walks around the perimeter of the hole it's it'll be painful i i promise it will be utterly painful you know and clearly i'm of the opinion at this point that he spent more time working on his man bun than he than he did in preparing his sermon Oh, man. So then, you know, somewhere in there, we're going to have to take a break because this is going to take us a little bit of time to kind of work through this one. Uh, We'll take a break. And then we have a Stephen Furtick update. We're going to head down to the Presence Conference. Uh, This is uh, Stephen Furtick's fourth time appearing at the Presence Conference. And we're not going to listen to his keynote message. No, we're going to actually listen to Stephen Furtick literally giving the the giving message uh-huh yeah so you know to encourage people to dig deep and to give money to Phil Pringle 
So, uh, which I always find such a fascinating feature of the Presence Conference. And then, like I said, now we're number two. We're going to hear from past pastors Matt Richard and uh, Pastor Brent Kuhlman. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a you know, slower pace today uh, because <laughs> there's something very specific I'm trying to do, especially in this uh, first segment. So, uh, go ahead and make yourself comfortable. By the way, fuzzy bunny slippers, they really do enhance the uh, listener experience. So let's get to it. We'll use this music for this, for this segment. Here we go. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flare. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me. Everywhere For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do As long as I do it with a flare That's right, doesn't matter what I say or what I do As long as I do it with a flare And I can't think of a more flary way of doing it than than with a man bun Um, We're going to be listening to a substitute preacher Brant Russell over at uh, Rochester Christian Church in Rochester, Michigan And his message titled wild child Mm -hmm. and uh, (laughs) here's the weird part he's going to spring the trap for himself pretty early but it looks like to the untrained eye that well this is going to be a great exegetical sermon on you know the demoniacs of the garrisons yeah 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 i mean it it should have gone well but as you will see as things unfold slowly, <laughs> anything but well is the right way of describing this sermon. So here's Man Bun Brant Russell. Here we go. So honored just to, to share good news with you this morning and, and something that God has, been, has put on my heart. God's been speaking to me lately about this idea of, of being wild. And so... And there's where he left the tracks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it only took him seconds, you know. I'd like to thank you all that I to be here. It's really a privilege, and I I want to share with you something that God's really been telling my heart. This important thing of being wild, and see, already there's no way to recover. But nope. Not at all. Yeah. Number one, God did not tell you that. Number two, what are you talking about? I mean, if God really wanted us to quote unquote be wild, I don't know. What does that mean? Feral? I mean, <laughs> does he want us to be like Mowgli? You know, does he want us to be man and, uh, you know, man child out in the, in the jungles of India? I mean, what, you know, what do you mean? God is telling you he wants you to be wild. So already we got a problem, and that is is that the he's already set up the lens, all right, and this is this lens is going to distort everything that he's going to be reading out from the Word of God because it's going to be pushed through the lens of what he thinks God is telling him right now. So <laughs> hope you're sitting down because I, this is going to take a little bit of time, but once we get to the springing of the trap. Oh man, it's oh, yeah, I'm just saying it's going to be worth it. Just 
Wait for it. Here we go. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of the message is Wild Child. And I'm going to have you turn to two passages of scripture. The first one is going to be Luke chapter 8. And the second is going to be Romans chapter 11. We'll start in Luke chapter 8. We're going to end in Romans chapter 11. Once you get to Luke 8, we're going to start in verse 26. This is a story that we're all pretty familiar with, but I want to read just a few uh, scriptures. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 says, "Then Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn... Now, remember that part of the text. So we're reading Luke 8. Starts at verse 26. I mean, it's, I mean, this looks like the setup for a perfectly good exegesis. But the problem was he already set a trap for himself. He already dug a hole. Yeah, and that is to say, well, God's speaking to my heart about the importance of being wild. Okay. So we're reading this. So he's gone hunting for a text to kind of fit with the thing that he thinks God's telling him in his heart. And so, well, this is the text. There's, there's, there's a guy, and notice what the text says in verse 27. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had, what? Demons. Now, I, I'm pretty sure most of you may have seen Hollywood renditions of demonic possession. And I think you would all know that that genre of movie is considered a horror movie. And never are the demons portrayed as the good guys. Nope. (laughs) No, in fact, if somebody's possessed by demons, this is somebody whom we have compassion for, somebody who we pray for, somebody who is in serious Danger, physically, spiritually, this is not a good state. I mean, you think of the movie The Exorcist, right? I forget the name of the main demon, you know, that was the one who who uh, possessed Reagan in that particular movie. But it didn't go well for her when her head spun around and she engaged in projectile vomiting and was able to levitate. Um <laughs> Well, what was his name? Pazuzu. That's right. Yeah, Pazuzu. Uh, so she was able to levitate above her bed, and it was just horrifying and terrible and awful. So you got to understand that this fellow. And by the way, when you read when you read other gospel accounts, you learn there's actually more than one. So some gospels kind of key in on the one fellow. Uh, while others actually mention both. But, you know, the, the, the easy way to think of this is if there's two, if you're only talking about one, that's not a contradiction. You're just, you're, you're telling the story, focusing in on the one fellow. But it, so here, you know, and listen to the way the text describes this fellow. So we had demons. For a long time, he'd worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, among, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you not to torment me. You know, so, yeah, I mean, just, you know, so th- this is a story that literally, if if you were to take this snippet of Jesus' ministry, you know, and tell this fellow's backstory, 
This this would fit into the horror genre. So I, I'm just saying, keep that part in mind as he now continues to read out the text. Clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wild. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, uh, describes this man in this way. It says that uh, when they had reached the other side, there was, act, uh, there was actually two demon-possessed men, and that when they came out of the tombs, they were so wild that no one could pass that way. That was the only word these young guys could think of to describe this moment, um, is this man was just, he was just wild. And every family, every community has that wild child. Do you know what, what are you talking? <laughs> so every community has somebody that's demon possessed? What are you <laughs> See already we got a problem here. It's like whoa 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 slow down there, Brent. Clearly the man bun is uh, in- impacting your ability to engage in clear thinking. Yeah. <laughs> talking about, you know, the that what the guy in the neighborhood that everybody, you know, everybody grew up in different neighborhoods, but that one guy who was the wild child, are you saying he was demon possessed? Cuz that's what this text is about. Talking about um like for me and my family who are probably live streaming right now, it's my sister, for sure. We all- Your sister has demons. Wow know it she's the wild child uh for for the the brigoli family who was recently on dr phil it's danielle cash me outside how about that (laughs) some of you guys know what i'm talking about she's a wild child um here at rcc we have the lottas they're our wild child (laughs) no but i had a wild child that lived at the end of my street growing up and so he was demon possessed his name was Matt. Isn't that just perfect? Like, have you ever known a Matt that wasn't a little wild? He, uh, he lived at the end of the street, and uh, I want to share with you just uh, an encounter I had with this kid. I never hung out with this kid. Okay. So you're going to tell us an encounter with a kid who lived on your street named Matt, and in the context of helping us better understand what's going on in Matthew, uh, or Luke's account of the uh, demoniacs of the Gerasenes, and you, so, I mean, we just have to keep asking the question, are you implying that Matt was demon-possessed? It was uh, an encounter I had with him one summer day. And my friend in Austin and I were hanging out, and we decided to ride our bikes down the street to the elementary school at the end of the block. So we get on our bikes, and as we're riding down there, we pass by Matt's house. And uh, Matt was kind of the, the Boo Radley of our community. We see him outside, and we thought it would be fun to, like, agitate him. Like, so we pull up. So now we're, this is like fumble number two. You notice we started off with him basically saying that this is, the, the, the importance of being wild is the thing that God has laid on his heart. He reads out the text, and immediately now he's regaling us with, Minutia. I mean, 
So we're going to get his life stories about the the wild kid who lived at the end of his street and, you know, the different things that occurred there. See, here's the idea. If you're going to, as a pastor or a preacher or a teacher, invoke something in your life, it needs to actually be used in a way to help us correctly understand the biblical text. And already I'm you know, throwing a flag on the play and saying, whoa, whoa, no way, dude. There's no way that this story is going to help us understand the biblical text because already you're not dealing with, like, the primary key detail of this particular passage. And that primary key detail is that the demoniac is demon-possessed. This is a bad thing. This is not a positive character trait, and you're you're describing people as being wild childs as somehow connected then with this fellow who was the demoniac, and you know, it's showing that you're 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 not connecting all of the exegetical dots correctly. And on our bikes and we stop and we see him out there and we start like, I don't, I don't even remember what we said to him, probably like some your mama jokes, I don't know, we were mean. And, and we're just and we're yelling these things at Matt. And so uh, what happened next is Matt, uh, we had these, these fruit trees in the, in the neighborhood and they uh, dropped like these bumpy fruits. I'm not sure what they were, but they were all over the ground. And as we're making fun of Matt, we're literally in the middle of like hurling insults at him. He picks up this, a a huge fruit and he chunks it at us. And he was an excellent marksman. And we didn't know that until this moment. So as we're we're in the middle, like my friend Austin is in the middle of like, of dropping, of of hurling some insult. And this thing hits him square in the face. I mean, he's like, your mama's so and then just right there. So he, he, he's reeling back from that. And, uh, and that, that's when I realized. Uh, yeah, I, I need to help you out here, Brent. Here's the issue. I mean, you're not even good as a comedian. I mean, if you were to actually go to improv night at one of the comedy clubs in your area, this wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, we got some major problems going on here with this sermon. Like, this kid's crazy. <laughs> and so we, we start picking up melons on our side of the street and chunking them back at him. And we get in a food fight. And we're just hurling these, these fruits back and forth. And then uh, all of a sudden, Matt just, like, runs into the garage, just disappears into the shadows of the garage. And me and, me and my friend Austin look at each other, and, like, we're like, we won. Like, we... We won, and we started like chest bumping, and we're we're in the middle of like celebrating our our victory, and we, we had no idea the storm of crazy that was about to rain down upon us. We're in the middle of celebrating. You know, I'm sure that telling this story with your friends in your dorm room, oh man, I'm sure they just think this is the best story ever. Yeah, it, the 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 job, you know, the idea of sermon illustrations—they're supposed to help us better understand the text. Now, keep in mind, he's already dug the hole for himself, and at this point, he's walking around the perimeter of the hole, and he's 
literally going to fall into it. And, you know, if you're able to connect some dots here, it's pretty easy to spot how this, you know, what's going to happen when he falls into the hole. But we continue. All of the sudden, Matt emerges from the shadows. And I, I am not making this up. This is exactly what it looked like. He comes, he comes out of the shadows of his garage and the sh- the sun, into the sunlight. And as he comes, he's just looking at the ground and just like dragging a baseball bat along the gravel. Just slowly walking as he comes out of the shadows. It's like a horror movie. And me and my friend Austin look at... Yeah, funny you need to say that it was like a horror movie because the story of the demoniac's life is a lot like that. And we're like, oh... All I have is fruit. Like <laughs> that. Like that, this kid's just gonna play baseball with us. We gotta. We gotta go. So we jump on our bikes and we tear off down the street, heading towards the elementary school, which was our original destination. And Matt jumps on his bike, baseball bat still in hand, and he starts pedaling after us. And um, his bike was really fast. I don't know why, but you know, you ever have those dreams where you're running, and no matter how fast you're running, you can't get away. It was like that. And so, like, he's gaining on us, and we're pedaling as fast and as hard as we can, and we get to the elementary school, and the entire property has been fenced off with a chain-link fence because they're doing construction for the summer. So um, we get there, and we're like, let's, let's, let's lose them in the construction yard. So we drop our bikes at the chain-link fence, we, jump, we climb this thing, we jump over, plop down on the other side, and we start tearing past like mounds of lumber and dirt and gravel and heavy machinery and equipment, just like trying to find a place to hide, like, where do we hide, where do we hide? And so th- then I see uh, a porta potty and I'm like, perfect, like, we can get inside and shut the door, and... So we, we run into the porta potty, we slam the door, and then we, and we lock it. <laughs> Occupied. We're inside. We're safe. We're trying to like catch our breath so he can't hear us breathing, trying to calm our heart rate down, all that. And then that's when we hear it. The chain link fence rattling as he's climbing it. And then we hear his feet plop down into the gravel. Yeah, a little bit of a note here. Brevity is the soul of wit. So now we're now we're going like I said, this is just a bunch of minutia as he continues to circle around the hole that he's already dug for himself. Remember the job of a pastor is to preach the word. This is sermon time at Rochester Christian Church and this young fellow has been tapped. He's been given the task of actually delivering the Word of God and to help us rightly understand it. We continue. And so we're trying desperately just not to make noise. And I hear him walking through the yard, and he begins to play these psychological games with us. He just begins taking his bat and just hitting things with it. Bam! Bam! And this is like this is all I can hear. I don't know what he's doing. I just hear him like whacking things. And all of a sudden, he hits the side of the porta potty, and it scares us half to death. But we manage not to make any sounds. So we're like, "Oh God!" Then the door handle begins to jiggle, and uh, we're like, "Maybe he just thinks it's just locked." You know, like we're hoping he doesn't realize we're in there. And uh, then we hear his feet disappear, just crunch on the gravel into the distance. And Austin decides, "All right, I'm going to check and see if the coast is clear." Because I don't want to spend the rest of my Saturday in this John. So he stands up on the toilet. There's a vent at the top. 
that you can see out of. So he stands up on that and he's looking out of this vent to see where, where Matt has disappeared to. And I'm crouched down in the bottom watching him, waiting for the word. And all of a sudden I see this plume of sand and dirt just, get sh- just shoot through the vent into his eyes. And uh, Austin starts screaming, he's like, my eyes, my eyes, it burns. <laughs> and, he, and he collapses down and he's trying to get the sand out of his eyes. And, and then we hear Matt outside just laughing. Like he knows we're in here now. And, uh, and Austin's just, he's, 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 his eyes are completely watering. He's crying as the, his body's trying to flush the sand out. And I'm like, I'm ever the optimist. I'm always looking on the bright side. Right? So even in this situation, I remember specifically, I, I remember seeing like the maintenance sticker on the door of the, of the porta potty. And I was like, I was like, Austin, it could be worse. They just cleaned this porta potty on Saturday. Like, wow. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's amazing right there. Now we're going to pause right here. Like I said, we've slowed down a little bit today. And we're kind of tracking through the this problematic sermon in real time, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah we're gonna we're gonna drag you through this so that you can experience all of the pain and agony up to the point where he actually falls into the hole he's already dug. So uh, let's take our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue with Man Bun Dude. Uh, that's Brant Russell as he regales us with personal stories while we wait for him to fall into the pit that he's dug for himself. Then we'll hear from Stephen Furtick. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. God's word, I put on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen The Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. He twists God's word, he puts on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen The Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. He's a heretic and he's okay. He schemes all night and he lies all day. God's word, I take your tithe and spend it on private jets. Have you seen my bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. 
He twists God's word. He takes your time and spends it on private jets. Have you seen his bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. Curry's everything's okay. I scheme all night and lies all day. Twist God's word, I write bad books that will land you all in hell. I'll never say I'm sorry, cause I'll be there as well. He twists God's word, he writes bad books that will land us all in hell. Ah! Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that starting a sermon off by saying, well, listen, God's laid this idea on my heart is a complete setup for utter failure. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you're going to see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey, and that's $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. After that, Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Yeah, and I promise we will never send you send you a blessed pl- prayer hanky, nor will we say that God promises to give you a thousand-fold increase or any of that nonsense, because that's actually a twisting of God's word. What we do promise is, well, to responsibly handle the money that you've given us so that we can continue to pay our bills, budget properly, and plan our next ex- exploits as we well, continue to serve the body of Christ with sound biblical discernment and the proclamation of Christ and Him crucified for our sins. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you do that by clicking on the Donate button 
Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's return to Rochester Christian Church. We're listening to Brant Russell regale us with personal anecdotal stories about himself and where we last left off. He and a friend were in a porta potty, being stalked by a wild person, apparently. We continue. It could be worse, and Austin's like, Brant. Just stop talking. Like, you know, like, uh, he's like, do you not understand the gravity of the situation we're in? And uh, all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, as I'm talking with, with uh, Matt, or as I'm talking with Austin, this, uh, this sheared pole comes shooting through the door in between me and Austin. And it didn't happen in slow motion. It was like, it happened all at once. It was like, it wasn't there. And then it was, it just came through the door. And, uh, which is horrifying in and of itself. Cause it was like, that almost killed me. This is what we thought. We were like, oh my gosh, that almost killed me. And then it went back out and we realized this is worse. Cause now we don't know where it's coming back in. It was like when you see a spider, you know, and then you turn around to grab something to hit it and it's gone. It's always worse. It's, I would rather know. So the, the pole disappears and me and, me and Austin, um, we, get, we try to get up into the center of the porta potty as much as possible, like just checking to see where it's coming in next. And then it shoots through another side, barely missing us. And that's when we realized like, we don't have a chance if we don't grab onto this thing and hold on for our dear lives. So we grab onto this pole, Matt's trying to yank it back out and we're just screaming, like holding onto the pole, like, oh God, this is it. This is how we die. In a porta potty, this is how they're gonna find us. And I'm holding on, I'm like, I, I'm not gonna go out like this. And then Matt ends up getting the pole back out. He wrestles it free, and that's when Austin and I are like, we have to get out of here. Like, there, we, have, we have dodged death twice in the past 30 seconds. We've got to get out of here. So as soon as that pole disappeared out of the, out of the wall again, we just, we just turned the lock of that porta potty flung the door open, and ran wildly, like, for our lives. So we throw the door open, and there's Matt. He drops the pole, grabs his bat, and he's running after us, and we get back to the chain-link fence, get back to our bikes, and just tore off home. And we spent the rest of the weekend inside. And I remember... When we got home, we're like trying to tell our parents all about this. We're like, yeah, there was this, man, we almost died out there. There's this crazy kid. And my parents were just like happy that their kids were outside. They're just like, that's so cute. You're having fun outside. Like, I don't even think they, I don't even know if they believed the story like that, but it happened just like that. Matt. Yeah. uh, Amazing. I mean, yeah. And how does that help us understand this text from Luke that you read out? That was wild. Okay. This guy in Luke chapter 8, this was, this was the community's wild child. No. <laughs> you see, the, the person that was the wild child in your neighborhood was actually not demon-possessed, unless that's really what you're saying. This is the guy who lived at the end of the street for these people. He was literally, he was literally living among the tombs. Just outside of town. and every now- Not because it was a cool thing to do or he was just trying to be the black sheep. 
and then he would, he would come in. But people, people would have interaction with him. They knew he was there. They knew who he was. The Bible says that he would, he would scream, like just throughout the night, you know, cutting himself. You know kids are falling asleep to the sounds of distant screaming coming from the graveyard. This is t- All right, so he's cutting himself. They can't even subdue him with chains, another gospel tells us. Fine stuff. You know, like teenagers probably snuck out of their homes just to go get a glimpse of the wild man. You know, like this is, this was their wild child. In fact, um, it says in Luke chapter eight that he was kept under guard at one point, that they had bound him with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds. They would actually post sentries to try to. All right. So notice he's now walking back towards the text. And unfortunately, he's dug a hole for himself because he's not paying attention to details. Although it looks like he is. He really is far, far, far from doing that. Watch over this guy. Try to tame him. Mark 5 says it this way. He, he was often bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. And then he makes this statement. No one had the strength to tame him. And that was the idea. This community... That's the idea this community was trying to to tame this man. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> um he was a demoniac <laughs> trying to tame him as if somehow his wildness was a virtue? What? Um this man was wild and they tried binding him with shackles and chains, they tried guarding him and he kept breaking free. And that's exactly what religion does in our lives. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he's now officially fallen into the hole that he dug for himself. So really, this is what religion does to our life. So the problem with the demoniac was he was too religious. Wow. That is awful. It's just, just, just completely ignorantly awful. Religion is the attempt to tame us. Right, yeah. Um, because gonna... God told him on his heart that, you know, it's important for us to embrace being wild. And so notice here, the townspeople who tried to get this demoniac under control, they're the bad guys now in the text because they're religious. The demoniac, well, he's a free spirit. He is, you know, he's just out there being himself. Because, I mean, that's really kind of what he means by wild in this case, to be a free spirit. And he's, he's good. And so the attempts at subduing this fellow and controlling him with chains, that's religion in action. But in reality... Him being demon-possessed, that really helped him to tap in to really being the free and wild spirit type that God really wants in the world. And the people there, they are actually just sitting there and kind of taking this in. Okay, sure, no problem. A statement here, just, and it may challenge you, but just hold on. I believe that we are wild at heart. I believe. Yeah, and that is actually the problem. <laughs> Does 
does this guy actually even know like the basic plot line of the Bible? Um, yeah, wild at heart, sure, no, no problem with saying that's absolutely the case. But the problem is that's actually a bad thing, not a good thing. You know, for instance, we could take a look at like, you know, Ephesians chapter one. This is one of the passages that we go to, uh, not one, but two. We go here very often. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Or you could you know, go to like Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, th- we... <laughs> Romans chapter 3, we read in verse 9, what then, are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. We've already charged that all. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So, I mean, yeah, you could talk about, yeah, that we're all wild, Um you know, that's how we're born, dead in trespasses and sins. And remember, he's at this point just utterly failed. I mean, it you can't fail any harder than this fellow has failed. I mean, he's now taken the demoniac's demoni- demon possession and allegorized that into a free spirit. And this is apparently a good thing. And those who were trying to subdue him with chains, they were just, they had a religious spirit. And that's what was going wrong there. That we were created to be wild. Um, the reason, you know this song, that song that we sang this morning that said, death could not hold you? The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You know why songs like that resonate with us? Because those are wild words about a wild love. It's a pic- painting a picture of a wild heaven and a wild king who could not be tamed by death. Uh, <laughs> a king who couldn't be tamed by death. Yeah, that's what death tried to do. It tried to tame him. Self. God, his, his, the, the Bible says that wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In fact, John, when describing what it was like being around Jesus, I believe it's John chapter 2, he says, just being around him, I'm reminded of the verse, zeal for your house has consumed me. Just looking upon Jesus' disposition and his behavior and his characteristics, John's like, the only word I can think of is zeal. Just a wild disposition, uh, a love. Jesus is a, his spirit is, is wild and free. In fact, when you think about the, the way the world originally was when he created it, he, he is putting together a planet and there are no roads, there's no chain link fences, there's no cities. When God creates earth, it is literally a, a planet full of deserts and rivers and tundras 
and jungles and valleys and mountains and forests and lakes and oceans and every single one of these things is teeming with wildlife, right? It's, this is a wild planet. And then God makes the statement, let's make man in our image, fashions him from the dust of the earth and lets him run around naked among it. Have you ever thought of this picture? Like, that's, that's wild. Yeah. Now, let's take a look at um, the rest of the story. How does Jesus address this wild fellow there at, uh, at the Gerasenes? Does he try to tame him? Well, let's, I mean, because remember, the, the, the townspeople there, by trying to chain him, they had a religious spirit, and they were keeping this free spirit from really just being himself, the way God made him, apparently. <laughs> just, you can't make this up. Luke 8, 26. Uh, Jesus and the disciples sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. That's a bad thing, not a good thing. <laughs> For a long time... He had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And he wasn't doing this in preparation for the new earth. I'm just saying. Okay. (laughs) So when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you not to torment me. For he had commanded, Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man for many a time it had seized him it was kept, it kept and he was kept under guard bound with chains and shackles but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert jesus then asked him what is your name and he said legion for many demons had entered him it's not one there's a whole legion of them and they begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city, And in the country, then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now notice, remember, um, Brant here was telling us that by trying to chain this fellow, these uh, townsfolk had a religious spirit, and they were trying to tame him, which was the wrong thing to do because he was just the wild guy who was a free spirit in their town. And here now, Jesus, what does he do with this fellow? He <laughs> he casts the demons out of him. Now the wild man is totally tamed. Yeah, I mean, he's in his right mind. He's no longer cutting himself, doesn't want to live in the tombs anymore. And rather than see this as the, this fellow has been delivered from the demonic, based upon how Brandt has set up this story, I must assume that Jesus did a terrible thing, that he has somehow, you know, oppressed this fellow into being something that he is not. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he was there's this free spirit roaming around the tombs, and and the the townspeople tried to tame him, and then Jesus comes along and then tames him, and so. <laughs> Jesus is a bad guy. He wasn't letting this guy really be what he really was. And that's just wild at heart. And yeah, that's the only conclusion I can come up with. And the reason why this has happened is, again, it started with Brant, the man bun dude, um, literally saying, God has been speaking into my heart about the importance of being wild. Strike number one. He tells Part of the story, strike number two, he then exegetes it according to the thing that's in his heart, strike three, and literally because of him doing that and in the process telling us a really long and tedious story about himself and the wild guy in his neighborhood has literally set up an exegetically untenable, irresponsible, and laughably bad. I mean, utter exegetical fail at this point, which which then means that if you were to connect all of the dots here based upon how he's mishandling this text, we must come to the conclusion that Jesus has somehow done something bad to this fellow by taming him, (laughs) by casting out the demons. Yeah, no joke. I mean, it's this. it pretty much doesn't get any worse than this. That's the best way I can put it. All right, moving along, we have a Stephen Furtick update, and that requires us to do this. Australia to the C3 Presence Conference. Yep, and we're going to hear Stephen Furtick 
delivering a giving message. That's right. They're going to gather around as Stephen Furtick twists God's word in order to motivate people to reach deep into their pockets and sow a seed and believe that somehow it's going to create breakthrough in their life. Yeah, I wish I was making that up. So uh, without any further ado, off to the C3 Presence Conference we go. Here is Stephen Furtick's giving message that he delivered while he was there. Here we go. All the options are on the screen and the, in the cup holders, the, uh, the envelopes, what have you. But to encourage us in our giving, we, we get to hear tonight again from Stephen Furtick. Let's give him a big hand right now as he comes to encourage us in our giving. Thanks, Stephen. time I was at a conference with a team member who had never attended a conference before and it was of course a paid registration conference uh, like this one where people paid a, a small registration fee to come and and then they received an offering and my team member didn't understand that and uh, they asked me later at the hotel they said is that common to receive an offering and of course at a meeting like this at night uh, many people are just here for the evening session and maybe didn't pay a registration fee but for my team member it was kind of I guess unusual and they said didn't the people already pay to come and then they're taking an offering and I had to explain it a couple of different ways and the first way was logistically that if you think the little registration fee that everybody paid would cover the cost of a world-class event like this one or like the one that we were at. You don't understand simple mathematics. Um, one thing that I really like about this and keeps me coming back because I don't say this in an arrogant way, uh, I don't have to travel anymore. I like my church and I, I like my house and my 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 city and all of that and so yeah i know your your house is what 12,000 square feet something like that i get to go to places where ministry is valued and um and who they put in front of you is just uh even take me out of the lineup all of the people that have stood up here and will stand up here it's a uh, pretty world class can you thank god yeah world class bible twisters and narcissists for sure yeah for world class ministry coming your way this week, even online, I mean, everything that it takes to do it, uh, well, of course, that's very expensive. But then the other way I explained it to my team member, I said, you're, you're really missing the whole point of what's happening when the offering is being extended as an opportunity. The offering is extended as a what? As an opportunity, an opportunity for what exactly? Because the people that are coming, they, they went through a lot to get there, and the registration fee or the plane ticket is the least of it. And they have a lot that they're going back to and things that they're believing God for. And I had things that they're believing God for. Does putting money in a bucket at a Phil Pringle conference help me uh, get from God things that I am believing him for? What? Explain, hey, it, it's not really so much about the bills. It's about the breakthrough that certain people are believing God for. 
Mm-hmm. So they're believing God for breakthrough by putting money in a bucket uh, for Phil Pringle. And uh, thinking about that tonight, I don't know why that little story came back to me. That was several years ago. But it took me, I'm going to do two things with my phone, okay? And those of you watching online, um, you don't have to miss out on this either. There should be some instructions on the screen here. If you want to ignore... Miss out on giving money to Phil Pringle. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, it sounds like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I may never get this option again, you know? While I'm talking, because you already know that bless, blessing comes and follows faith and giving, and you don't need... Really? So blessing comes by following faith in giving. And now Stephen Furtick literally is just a snake oil salesman at this point, making promises for God that God has not made. What I have to say to give, you could just go ahead and start filling out your envelope and making out your check. But I want to open my Bible app and I want to uh, read one verse. It's a famous verse. I preached on it a little bit Sunday at C3 Church in Oxford Falls. And um, I was talking about when Jesus was talking to this Samaritan woman at the well. And he always, in Scripture, would speak to people so personally that it would make them uncomfortable. He knew things about them. And he's talking to this woman on a very personal level. And he asked her for a drink of water. It's a whole story. And I'm not up here to preach tonight. I, I could preach this passage, but I'm just taking an offering. But when No, you're twisting this passage while trying to get money for Phil Pringle. He was confused. Like it makes you wonder, I mean, what percentage of the cut do you think he gets? What's this all about? Why are you asking me for a drink of water? Because on the surface, it, it seemed like he wanted something from her. In reality, he wanted something for her. It, it wasn't about what he wanted to receive from her. It was about what he wanted to release to her. And so I was thinking about John 4, verse 10, where he said, if you knew the gift of God, if you really got it, if you knew what this was about, and if you knew who it is that asked for a drink, if you, if you knew that you were standing in front of living water, <laughs> you would have what is with that that weird demonic cackle thing that you just did Tim and he would have given you living water so on the surface I see how this can seem like a moment where okay you know here's what happens the second thing I want to do with my phone yeah, again what does the uh, account of Jesus at the well in Samaria have to do with giving money to Phil Pringle open Instagram <laughs> And uh, not because I'm distracted, but I want to do something real quick. Yeah, maybe because you have a guilty conscience and you know you're twisting God's word and manipulating these people to give money. You know, I almost went off Instagram a while back, but I found a little button that saved my life because I post stuff on Instagram and most people are really nice. They really are. But um, sometimes they're not. And when they're not, maybe this will be the best thing you get out of conference all week. There's a little button that I want to tell you about. And you can find it. Let's see. Let's just pick somebody randomly here on my Instagram. I put a picture of my kids today. There's my sister-in-law. Let's find her. I'm going to do this to my sister-in-law, and uh, not, not for any reason other than illustration. You probably can't see this button, but it says block. 
And sometimes I get into the comments. Can you see that? Maybe not. It's, 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 a, it's a cool button. Yeah, whatever you do, don't ever say anything critical of his anointed majesty, uh, the vision-casting leader, Stephen Furtick, because he'll block you. I, I'm, I will attest to this. I've been blocked by Stephen on uh, Twitter for years now, years and years and years. For Instagram, when you get into the comments and somebody is saying something that they don't have any business saying on your feed, it's just a one... It feels good to press that button sometimes. It even asks you again, it's like, are you sure you want to block this person? Yes, I am. And I'm going to unblock my sister-in-law after tonight so we don't have family discord back in the States. But um, I wonder when it comes to this moment in the service, because I know you want a word from God tonight, and there's all kinds of things that he's been speaking to you already. How many of you, God, have... You want a word from God? You open up your Bible. That you, literally, you, I mean, you can get a Bible app for free. You can find the Bible on the Internet for free. You want a word from God. You don't have to pay a dime for it. already been speaking to you in some way, in, in a significant, specific way already this week. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like sometimes we treat God like our Instagram feed. And when it gets to this part, we find this block button. Right, yeah. Maybe it's because you're manipulating and twisting these people and making promises for God that he hasn't made. Oh, yeah, put money in the bucket so that you can get what you're believing for from God. That's using and manipulating God for your own purposes. And it's like, um, Stephen Furtick, and, and some people are happy, is going to take the offering. Block. And Jesus said, if you knew what this was about. Really? So now Jesus, you're taking, you're hijacking Jesus's words to the woman at the well in Samaria, and you're making it about giving money to C3 Church. No, that, that's not manipulative at all. You would, you would unblock God. You would use this moment for the intent that it was given so that you could unblock what God wants to release in your life. And, and right, yeah. See, giving money will unblock what God wants to release in your life. Says no biblical text anywhere. Say that in a, in a manipulative way. I don't know what will happen if... Yeah, actually, you did say that. You are manipulating these people, so you said it in a manipulative way. The fact that you said this actually shows that you feel guilty because you know you're manipulating these people. Let me back that up. I mean, unbelievable. For the intent that it was given so that you could unblock what God wants to release in your life. And, and I don't say that in a, in a manipulative way. I don't know what will happen if you give $1,000 tonight. I don't know if God will turn it into 10000 or, or I don't know if you give 10000 if he'll turn it into 100000 or if you give ten. Really, You don't know what he's going to do. You don't know if he's going to... But you're setting the expectation that, oh, you give money and you, know, you give 1000 Hey, maybe God will, you know, turn it into 10000 Yeah, so, you know... Put that thousand in there, and we'll, we'll see what happens while creating the expectation that God's going to somehow multiply it because people are believing for things by putting money in the... Yeah, wow, this is TBN-esque at this point. Uh, my job my job is to help you understand what this is all about so you can decide. Have you been blocking 
living water from flowing to your soul? Jesus wasn't. So by not giving money to C3 Church, I've been blocking living water from getting to my soul. Wow. I, I, th- this is just demonic. Trying to get a drink from that woman. And uh, this conference is really not trying to get an offering from you. Really, there's something. Yeah, that- actually, it is. It is trying to get an offering from them. The reason I say that with 100% certainty is because they asked you to step on stage, Stephen Furtick, and give a 10-minute giving message. And then when you were done giving your giving message, they passed the bucket. Yeah, no, they were. Oh, man, this guy is talking out of both sides of his mouth, and he's lying through his teeth. God wants to release, and I'll be honest with you. No, you haven't been honest the whole time. And the reason why you're saying, I'm not trying to be manipulative, and I'll be honest with you, because you know you're being dishonest and manipulative. Singing is great. It's, it's great. Um, preaching's pretty good, too. I, I like it. I'm a fan of it. I've been giving my life to it. Writing notes is great, but there's something about giving that unblocks your heart and releases your faith. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, that none of that other stuff will do where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So I want you to get ready to give tonight and someone will give you better instructions. than. Yeah, so when Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart will be also... That was because Jesus was trying to encourage people to to give money, uh, you know, to C3 Church or whatever church, right, so that they can unblock their heart and have rivers of living water flowing to them, right? Is that if when I go and put that back in context, that's what that's going to say, right? Like not even close, like not even close. The text in question, it's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. I'll start at verse 19, and I'll keep going because this this theology is actually part of a bigger thing that Jesus is doing, and we have to go past the verse that says, do not lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, or you know, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We have to go past it to see what Jesus is actually referring to in context in his sermon. Uh, Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and dust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! None of you can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, we need to be quoting this passage to Stephen Furtick, who has a 12,000-square-foot house. We need to be quoting this passage to you know, Phil Pringle. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about your clothing? 
consider the lilies of the field. They, 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 how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all of these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Whose righteousness is? This is salvation by grace through faith alone. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Yep. So, yeah, when we put that back in context, it has nothing at at all to do with actually giving money uh-huh, to, you know, you know, a, a megachurch or a conference or something like that. That's just, this is utter manipulation. ...than I can on how to do that practically. But maybe you should find that button. Maybe you should just take a moment and, and ask God what it is that he would have you to release so that the ministry can go forward. I mean... Yeah, the ministry of Bible twisting, uh, false vision casting, um, the, the conquering of the seven mountains through the apostle, Phil Pringle. When we give, we unblock the gospel because we enable the message to go forth all over the world. You can participate. Yeah, but that would assume that Phil Pringle actually preaches the gospel and or that you preach the gospel. No, neither of you actually do. Online as well. So we, in one sense... We release the message of the Word of God. We get to be partners in the gospel. And that's an amazing privilege. But it also releases us. And if we're not careful, we can get into this atmosphere and we can miss the whole rhythm of what it's all about. You wouldn't want to miss the rhythm of the atmosphere now, would you? So, you know, dig deep into your pockets. I mean, you you want rhythm, right? We can get in here and just receive, 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 receive. But without a release... You can't receive. Why, why would they take an offering at a conference like this? It's not about meeting a budget. It's about unblocking your heart. Oh, I see. Yeah, see, this, the, the reason why they're taking an offering is to give them the opportunity to unblock their heart so that living waters can flow. I mean, after all, I mean, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Yeah, so they did this as, well, they took an offering purely out of motivation and concern and love for the people there in the audience at C3. Now, wouldn't it be a shame for you to be under an open heaven in an atmosphere like this with faith like this, ministry like this? Wouldn't it be a shame for you to be under an open heaven with a blocked heart? Yeah, I mean, those portals in the open heaven thingy. I mean, so, you know, God is just waiting to, you know, give, you know, the word to his blessing gnomes that is you know there, there's the open heaven right over the uh, the place where the c3 conference is taking place and the and the and the blessing gnome is ready to take his shovel and put it into the goodie bag of god's blessings but he's looking at you going oh man i can't put the shovel in to dump the blessings out of the open heaven until you unblock your heart and you don't want to unblock it small no no you got to unblock it big you know so write that big, ginormous check. Make it payable to Phil Pringle and Stephen Furtick. I believe obedience unblocks our heart. And giving is a way to do that. 
Take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes. Ask God. That's what Jesus said. You would have asked him if you knew who was standing before you. Ask him. Yeah, I keep going back to the twisting of that text from the Gospel of John. God, would you have me to release something, sow something tonight on a large... Yeah, God does not want you, and I mean this. He does not want you to give a penny to false teachers like Stephen Furtick or Phil Pringle. You are literally going against the expressed will of God by supporting their ministries financially. Level, a sacrificial level, a faith level, to unblock your blessing that you are trying to release in my life. Don't tune this part out. Don't block. See, God's trying to release a blessing in your life, but you got to get off that block button, man. Part. Maybe he'll speak a specific amount that, that would stretch your faith. Father, as you're... Done. Yeah, by the way, he's not actually invoking the same God, the, uh, the Father of Scripture. That's a totally different God altogether. Wow. Unbelievable. Total manipulation. Yep. Hopefully you learn something along the way. If uh, If you go to a conference and the pastors and the speakers do this to you, don't stay. Walk out. They have no conscience. They are literally teaching for shameful gain things that they ought not to teach. They are giving you empty words, making promises for God that he has not made and are manipulating you and guilting you for the expressed purpose of getting into your wallet so that the money that you have worked hard for and earned ends up in their pocket which they have not earned, not at all. That All they've done is told you lies and scratch your itching ears and make promises for God that he never made at all. Wow. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to end the program off with three good sermons. One a Good Friday sermon and two Easter sermons. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org 
or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. men handle the biblical texts and proclaim what Christ has done for us in comparison to, well, pretty much everyone else that we cover during the first hours of fighting for the faith. But let's do this right. Review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Our first two sermons come to us via, let me find this real quick here, Zion Lutheran Church, Winter, North Dakota. Yeah, that's right, North Dakota. Pastor, the Reverend Dr. Matt Richard presiding. By the way, he has a new book coming out. Oh, man, fantastic. I got to see the manuscript. Anyway, (laughs) I'm like, diverting my attention here. The first sermon is his Good Friday sermon titled Into the Darkness, and it is based upon the Gospel of John chapter 19 verses 1 through 42. I've already read those out, you know, in previous installments this week, so I'm not going to read them out again. Um, And then his Easter uh, sermon is titled Death is Dead, and it's based upon the Gospel of Mark 16 verses 1 to 8. And then Brent Kuhlman's sermon. You know what? I'm going to just go crazy here. We're going to do a we're going to do two Brent Kuhlman sermons because they're so brief. They're really good. Uh, Brent Kuhlman's uh, Good Friday sermon titled It is finished for you based upon the Gospel of John chapter 19 focusing on verse 30. It is finished. 
and then his Easter sermon, He is Risen for You, based upon the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, focusing in on the verse that says they did not yet know from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Yeah, I'm going crazy here. We got to get all this nonsense out of our heads. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is sermon number one by the Reverend Dr. Matt Richards, titled, Into the Darkness on Good Friday. Here we go. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Gogolfa. There they crucified him, and with him two others— one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather... This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave permission. 
So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. O Lord, have mercy on us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Tonight, we travel into darkness. Yes, we travel into darkness. The altar was stripped last night. We have taken and clothed the altar in black. The pastor and the subdeacon are dressed in black as well. And later on tonight, we will hear the strepitus, which is a loud bang, a loud crashing sound coming from the altar that symbolizes that earthquake that happened after the death of the Son of God. Indeed, tonight, we enter into the darkness of death. We hear that hammer coming down hard upon that stake, piercing flesh. We hear about the blood. We hear about the agony, the groans, and the pain of Christ on that Good Friday long ago. Now, it would be easy to think that we are somehow trying to recreate a funeral for Jesus this evening during this service. However, that is not exactly what is going on. Jesus died some 2,000 years ago. No funeral is needed for him or necessary. Indeed, his death was long ago, but your death, yes, your death and my death are much closer. They are not too far away. Yes, darkness will soon come to each and every one of us. Darkness will come, and it will cast a heavy shadow over top of us, enveloping us and pulling us into the cold grave. And so tonight, we remember that death is our enemy. Death is not our friend, but our enemy. Death is our problem. Death is the great enemy of humanity. There's actually no stopping the power of death. It just keeps coming and claiming its victims time and time again, day after day after day. There's no stopping it. Modern medicine has not found a solution to stop death. Anti-aging creams can only prolong the effects and the looks of death upon a face. Plastic surgery only conceals death for a moment. We can run from death, my friends. We certainly can try to run, as many do in our culture, but we cannot hide from death. For the older that we get, the darker the shadow of death becomes. And the darker that the shadow of death becomes, the uglier and the meaner death seems to be. And the more death snarls at us, the more we feel powerless and even fearful of death. And just when we think that the shadow of death is as dark as it may be, from those shadows of death, from that lurking shadow, emerges something called sin. Yes, sin, it creeps out of those shadows of death. Now, dear friends, we must never forget that beneath, beneath death is sin. 
When sin is fully grown, it actually is that which brings forth death. Sin consumes and it destroys. It wreaks havoc on all of us. Sin, it brings spiritual death. It brings temporal death. It brings eternal death. It brings diseases and miseries and so forth, showing no mercy. So when the shadow of death descends heavily upon you, Realize that it is a strangling of life. It is a strangling of life out of you, not merely from the outside, but from within because we are all infected with this virus of sin. Now, to make things worse, the devil, he also rejoices and he parades around and he skips around in the shadows of death. He's the ruler of darkness, by the way. He's the ruler of darkness, and he so he parades around with death, celebrating the darkness. And so when death presses upon us, oh, that sly serpent, the devil himself, is eager to press down upon us with accusations and scorn and laughter as well. The devil digs out every sin that we've ever committed, and he takes that sin and he casts it before our eyes, and he presses these sins down upon our soul to condemn us. The devil shows no mercy when the shadow of death comes. He attacks and he slanders and he oppresses, for he is the sly, evil foe. Even though he masquerades around as an angel of light, he is of darkness and he is evil. He is evil to the core. Now, there's no doubt about it. Death is indeed the biggest struggle that humanity knows. There is nothing, I repeat, there is nothing more powerful than death itself in this life under the sun. And tonight we come face to face with this great power here in this service. In fact, tonight we do not merely stare into the darkness of death, but we travel into the darkness of death in this Good Friday service. Yes, we travel into the darkness of death this evening Because we know that the only way to make it through this darkness and not succumb to the despair of death is that we must walk into it and through it with Christ, with the Son of God. Dear friends, we must never forget that the death of Jesus Christ, the death of the Son of God, is our death. It is my death. It is your death. Jesus, the righteous and the innocent man, had to tremble and he had to fear like a poor condemned sinner and in his tender, innocent heart, he had to feel God's wrath and his judgment over sin, taste for us eternal death and damnation, and in short, suffer all that a condemned sinner has deserved and must suffer, eternally speaking. On that cross... Jesus had to experience hell's fire. On that cross, he had to experience the terror of death, the devil's fiery darts, and the painful bite of the jaws of death. He experienced all of this for you and for me too, in our place and on our behalf. It is like this. For one time, for one and only one time in the whole history of our human race, there was a death of one whom sin, get this, had no hold. You see, the death of Christ is different than ours. Death had no hold and sin had no hold on Jesus whatsoever. Death had no right to Jesus. Yet as we celebrate this holy evening, 
Jesus gave himself up to death. And he did this so that he could bring you out of death itself. Are you beginning to see just how brilliant this is? How masterful this whole plan of salvation is for you and for me? Into the darkness of this night, death swallowed down another apparent, I say apparent victim. However, Jesus was unlike all the others that had died and gone before him. He's unlike the others that death had eaten before Jesus was true human flesh. He was nailed to the cross. He bled. He suffered. He cried just like any other person would on a cross. And from the perspective of death, Jesus seemed to act and die like everyone else. However, hidden, yes, hidden under that flesh of Jesus was a light that no darkness, a light that no darkness could overcome. Hidden under the flesh was no mere mortal, no mere mortal but the Son of God, the divine Son of God. And so when the Son of God gave himself over to death, and when death licked its lips and devoured down the Son of God, it may have seemed that it was all over, that death had consumed another helpless victim, However, however, this could not be further from the truth. For into the dense darkness of death, Jesus let loose light, light that darkness could not overcome. Blessed baptized saints, your Jesus, yes, your Jesus, goes into the darkness that you will have to go into as well. And because you will go into the darkness with him, you have nothing to fear from the devil and his pathetic, yes, pathetic lies. As the darkness could not hold your Jesus, so it will not hold you as well. As the darkness had no claim on Jesus, so by the innocent shedding of his blood, darkness has lost all of its claims upon you and me too. His blood has covered all of you and all of your sins forever. You are his. Surely your sins and my sins as well put us into the grave, but your baptism joins you to Jesus' grave, a grave that not only has death, but it also leads to resurrection and new life. Tonight, we enter into the darkness. Tonight, we remember that Jesus went into the darkness before us and with us. And so we go into the darkness of Good Friday and we travel towards the darkness of our own death, knowing that we will go through darkness with Jesus. We will go through the shadows of death, fearing no evil, for Jesus is with us. We will walk into death and through it and out of it, for Jesus has overcome the devil himself. He's overcome sin and death, the great enemy. Tonight we remember the death of the Son of God, but we also remember the destruction of death, the destruction of death itself. We remember forgiveness of sins accomplished for us on that cross. We remember all of this, and by faith we confess together as his people I shall not be afraid, for the Lord Jesus Christ is for me in his life and in his very death. 
Yes, we have gone into the darkness of Good Friday. And tonight, we will arise from our pews, and we will go forward towards Sunday, where on Sunday, we will hear about Christ and so much more in store for us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Second sermon. Again, Pastor uh, Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard titled, the sermon is titled, Death is Dead, based on Mark 16, 1 through 8. Here we go. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. The women who came to the tomb of Jesus that Sunday morning long ago, well, they left with a combination of emotions. They were trembling, that is to say, physically shaking with fear in their bodies, with amazement. In other words, they were trembling with ecstasy, And their mind was thrown out of a normal state. Their whole disposition was one of being alarmed and in terror. So much that they fled the tomb with a combination of reverence and awe. Now this may strike us as a bit odd this morning. But if you and I put ourselves into their shoes, it actually makes sense. You see, two days earlier... The women had just witnessed death devour and chew upon Jesus Christ in a most horrific way. He was flogged. He was flogged and made a bloody mess. He was beaten. The sky actually turned black. He was crucified. The nails driven through his hands and feet. And his side was pierced where blood and water flowed. And then after all the events of Good Friday, there was that earthquake that shook the ground. And then after the events of Good Friday, Jesus was put into a peaceful tomb. That is until they came to that Easter morning, when they came to the tomb and the large stone had been rolled back, and they encountered an angel of the Lord with the news that Jesus had risen. Then in that instant, they were faced with the reality the reality that all the harshness of death was overcome. The nails, the flogging, the cross, 
the crown of thorns, the beatings, all of these tools of death were undone and rendered completely useless. You see, the news that they received was a news of a resurrection, that Christ was raised from the dead. The angel said, look, the tomb is empty. He is not here. The reality of death has been undone. Such extreme circumstances had unraveled. They could not hold Christ down. Thus, it took a great deal of adjustment for their eyes and their minds to wrap their heads around what had just happened. And it drove them to an overwhelming terror mixed with amazement and awe. Now, we must keep in mind this day that overcoming death is no small matter at all. Death, my friends, as you know, is a big deal. Death, it devours people in this world one by one, and it enjoys the fear that it produces. In fact, death, it bites into children, bites into men and women, grandpas and grandmas, healthy and unhealthy people alike. Death, it shows no mercy. It shows no favoritism. And when it bites down, it does not let go. It bites down and causes grief and rejoices in the grief that it casts upon people. It tears into mankind. And it laughs while it destroys and it smiles at the grief that it causes. Death, my friends, is a sure thing in life. We all know what happens when it strikes. There's a finality to death. There is an end to death. Death is that great period in life. There's no one surviving death. There's no escape from death. There's no reversing death in this life under the sun. But, my friends, but things are different with Jesus. Things are different with Jesus, and that is what the women coming to that tomb were confronted with that Easter long ago. In other words, as we heard on Good Friday, when death bit into Jesus, it thought that Jesus was just like everyone else. However, little did death know that Jesus was sent into the world to destroy death itself. Yes, Jesus was sent to undo the power of death, to change everything forever. So how did Jesus change death? How did he change everything forever? He changed everything forever by offering himself up to death. He actually gave up his spirit. He gave himself over into the jaws of death itself. And so death actually took a hold of of Jesus. Death, it chomped down upon Christ. However, never had death bitten down on such a deadly person such as Jesus before. You see, Jesus was no ordinary man. He was not just some ordinary religious teacher of the day, but rather he was the God-man, the Messiah, the Christ, God in the flesh. That means that death bit down not on just a mere mortal, but death bit down on the God-man, Jesus Christ, and then it tried to swallow and digest the God-man, Jesus Christ. Sometime on Saturday night, though, death began to feel uncomfortable. This Jesus, whom death devoured, was different from everyone else. This Jesus did not quite sit well 
in the stomach of death. Indeed, things were certainly not right. The gut pains increased for death. The aches and the grumbling in death's stomach got worse and worse until death grabbed a hold of its stomach and yelled out in pain, for there in death's stomach ruptured a large hole. Yes, death's stomach ruptured. The stomach of death ripped right open. And from that hole in death's stomach, Jesus Christ came forth alive and victorious and the victor. Now, dear friends, today we hear that the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. We hear with the women of that Easter Sunday long ago that Jesus is not in the stomach of death, that Jesus is not dead, that Jesus rose, that Jesus defeated death, that Jesus is alive. Death does not have the final word. Life has the final word life in Christ. You see, there has never been a better announcement in the history of the church than the announcement of the news of Easter that Jesus Christ is risen and that he is risen indeed. He is not dead. He is alive. Now, I want us to take a moment and consider those words. Consider that news. Let that news come into your ears and consider what it means for you and for me. Consider the implications of it. Hear this news that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Hear it with me, with the women who heard it that Easter Sunday long ago. Do not just let it slide over your mind into one ear and out the next. Consider the ramifications of this news that Christ is risen, that there is a hole in the stomach of death that death cannot contain the Son of God. Consider the ramifications. Jesus, he died on the cross, but death could not keep him. Death was powerless to keep Jesus. So what all this means for us here this day is this, is that because your Jesus is risen, yes, because your Jesus is risen, your death is undone. Because your Jesus is risen, death has a huge hole in its stomach. Because your Jesus is risen, death's jaws are fractured. Because your Jesus is risen, you and I can confess with boldness today, death has been swallowed up in victory. And my friends, it actually gets better than this. Get this, we can actually, this day, at Zion Lutheran Church, this morning, we can actually together taunt and mock death itself. Yes, we can taunt and mock death. In fact, we must taunt and mock death this day. Because Jesus is risen, we can ask of death, we can confront death and say to death, Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting, O death? Christ is risen and you are abolished. O death, where is your power now? Christ is risen, the demons are cast down. Where are your fans, O death? Christ is risen, the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life is freed. What are you going to do about this, O pathetic death? You know what? We can even laugh at death this day. Yes, we can even laugh at death 
Because Jesus is risen, because he is risen, we can laugh at death. We can say this while chuckling in our guts. Oh, death, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf, and his name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there shall I also be. You've got nothing on me, for I am baptized with Christ, and Christ is risen today, O death. Blessed baptized saints, because Jesus is risen, we do not have to be afraid of death anymore. Even though we shall return to ashes when we die, we know that because of Jesus, we have the sure and certain hope that we will be resurrected to eternal life as well. The Lord Jesus Christ will change our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And that is something that you and I can count upon. And so this day, this Easter morning, this Resurrection Sunday, We rejoice that the Lord Jesus Christ is risen. We rejoice that the tomb is empty. We rejoice that Jesus has defeated death. And then we even mock and we laugh at death this day as well. All of this is the sure confidence of a Christian. This is your sure confidence this morning. Because of Jesus and because he is risen, We know that nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, nothing today or nothing tomorrow, nothing high or nothing low, nothing thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's steadfast and sure love for us. Blessed baptized saints, Alleluia, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Amen. You, you see the difference? Yeah, yeah. You, 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 hopefully you're sitting there going, man, it's, I don't know what it is with these Lutheran guys, but they keep preaching Jesus for me. Yeah, they do. There's a reason for that, because Scripture does. Next sermon, talk about for you. <laughs> Here is um, uh, Reverend Brent Kuhlman, Trinity Lutheran Church, Murdoch, Nebraska, His Good Friday sermon titled, It is Finished for You, based on John 19, and here we go. In the name of Jesus, amen. Your brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said it from the cross, it is finished. The achieving and winning of your salvation is done. Just as the Old Testament prophets prophesied, and just as they promised, as God himself promised, He promised over and over again that one day he would die, that he would shed his blood as the only sacrifice that would atone for all sin, for every sinner and for for you. And now he's gone and done it. Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, suffering servant that he is, has redeemed all of you, lost and condemned people. Surely he has borne our griefs, Isaiah said, and carried our sorrows, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when it comes to the promise of salvation, everything is fulfilled. 
It's finished. Son of God, Jesus has purchased and won you from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. It doesn't get any more it is finished than that. As God promised again through the prophet Isaiah, Good Friday suffering servant Jesus was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many. Many is all-inclusive in the Hebrew. In other words, when Jesus bore the sin of many, he bore the sin of all, and that includes you. This means that God does not count your sin against you. Why is that? Here's why. It's because he counted all your sin, even the world's sin, against his son Jesus as he hung on the cross. He who knew no sin was made to be sin, so that you, the sinner, can have the righteousness of God that is Christ's. All your sin is on Jesus, and now all of his holiness is on you. Yes, the salvation job is done, finished. Nothing more can be done. Nothing more needs to be done. Jesus did it. He's the Savior. The arm of the Lord has been revealed in the Good Friday dying of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, if we judge things by human standards, servant Jesus appears to be the most unlikely agent of such a salvific mission. Because, as Isaiah said, he was despised and rejected by men. That's quite puzzling and mysterious. However... The mystery is solved and yet even heightened all the more when the rationale for Christ's ghastly, torturous torturous death is made known. His griefs, his sorrows, and his stripes are not anything that he earned by his bad choices or sinful or evil behavior. Pilate said over and over again, this man has done nothing wrong. And Hebrews 4 says that Jesus was without sin. But Jesus, innocent and perfect Jesus, was wounded for transgressions that he did not commit. He was bruised for iniquities of which he was not guilty. He endured the chastisement and the stripes that every sinner deserved and that every sinner cannot escape. Because the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, you, the guilty, go scot-free. You are forgiven. You are acquitted before God. From the anguish of his soul, or as Hebrews says, through his prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears offered from the cross, Jesus then is the source of eternal salvation for all of you. It is finished. Indeed. The salvation task is done. Accomplished only by Jesus for you. He died for you. Salvation is yours. To which faith says, Amen. Thank you. And as you believe, so you have. Happy Good Friday. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. (laughs) He doesn't mince any words, does he? Anyway, next sermon. Next sermon. Also from uh, uh, Pastor Brent Kuhlman, 
Trinity Lutheran Church, Murdoch, Nebraska, sermon titled, He is Risen for You, based upon the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, really focusing on the verse that says, they did not yet know from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Here we go. In the name of Jesus, amen. Your brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they did not know yet from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Well, the scripture said it would happen, and so did Jesus time and time again. Over and over again, Jesus said he would do just this. That's precisely what it meant for him to be the Christ, the son of the living God, by dying and then rising from the dead on the third day. Mary comes and sees the massive stone rolled away. She takes a peek inside the empty tomb. And what does she guess? Well, there's only one conclusion. The body's been stolen. Grave robbers, she says. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And then, when Mary sees the resurrected Jesus with her own eyes, she mistakes him for the, for the gardener. Good grief. Peter and John, they come and take a peek as well. The strips of linen that covered the corpse and the cloth that was wrapped around the Lord's head, they were there. So it wasn't the work of grave robbers. Something else must have happened. What in the world could that be? Well, they did not know yet from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. If they would have listened to the scriptures at least, the scriptures are to be heard and believed, listened to as God's promissory word. The scriptures testify to Jesus. So listen to the scriptures. Listen to our Lord's words. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. So, risen from the dead, shepherd Jesus sees her and says, Mary. He calls her by name. He reaches out to her in her sorrow and distress with his word. His voice is his word. And then she recognizes him as she, his little sheep, hears his word. Rabboni, she exclaims. Rabboni means my teacher. That's the specific term used by pious Hebrews. For God alone, hearing his word, she believes. He speaks to her personally and tenderly. The living word of her living, resurrected Lord has its faith-creating way with her. Faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. This morning you are given to hear the scriptures. They testify to Jesus. He died for you. On the cross he absorbed your death and all your disease, your sin, your sickness, your suffering into his Good Friday body. And he nailed them all to death once and for all on the cross. Then Jesus rose victoriously from the grave on the third day, and he did it not for himself, but he did it for you. He now reigns to give you all the salvational benefits and the salvific gifts that flow from his cross. Good Fridayly done through his word. What word is that? Well, it's the Matthew 28, 19 word combined with the water of your baptism by which he not only called you by name, 
but actually gave you the very saving name of the Trinity himself. In addition, at your baptism, Jesus embraced you with his death and his life. St. Paul puts the baptismal gift this way when he writes to the Colossians, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so in baptism, you are buried with Jesus, and he is buried into you. There's more. To you, the baptized sheep that hear his voice, Jesus buries his crucified, risen, and ascended body and blood into you through the bodily eating and drinking of bread and wine. At the Lord's Supper, with his promise of forgiveness, Jesus gives you the gifts of the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, as he promises in John's Gospel, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, let me finish the sermon with a flurry. How about this? With the good news of the Gospel all the more, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. In his resurrection, Jesus then gives you a preview of the last day when he will raise you from your grave and give you resurrected bodies like his that will never, ever, ever die. In our Lord Jesus Christ, death has been swallowed up in victory. Christ's victory. The disorder and darkness of death have been reordered by the light of Christ. Paul wrote again to the Colossians, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is your life. Jesus is your resurrection. Just as the scriptures say. Just as he promises. Sheep, listen to him. Sheep trust Jesus who pledges, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me and is baptized will be saved. Happy Easter morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yes, see how that works? I mean, yeah, I mean, talk about assurance, law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins, Christ crucified and risen for you. These are the messages that Scripture gives pastors to preach. These are the messages that you need need to hear. I need to hear them as well. Thank you, Lord, for such faithful men as Pastor, the Reverend Dr. Matt Richard, as well as Pastor Brent Kuhlman. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.